from the Ecology Prime Studios. This is Circle for Original Thinking. I am your host, Glenn Apodicio Perry. Welcome to Circle for Original Thinking, America's electronic talking circle for visionary thinkers. An open forum for fresh ideas and timeless wisdom applied to today's political and ecological challenges. Each week, we bring together creative thinkers from a variety of different traditions. We ask the hard questions on the important issues of the day. Political polarization, climate change, virulent viruses, and other symptoms of humanity being out of balance with the natural world. Our goal is to recreate a sacred world in a sacred America. A new and improved version of E Pluribus Unum, from the many to the one. But this time, not leave anybody out. Join us as we embark on this quest. This is the concluding episode of the program Native American Contribution to the Founding Values of the United States with guests Bruce Johansson and Oren Lyons. Last week, we heard from Bruce Johansson in full, and this week, we will hear the concluding remarks from Oren Lyons. I asked both my guests the same question. Why should we trust in a truth and reconciliation process? Bruce pointed out that there are many meanings of truth. And he went into the fascinating story of how he has set out to change the way history was written with his book, Forgotten Founders, and also the book Exemplar of Liberty in the 1980s. Bruce said it's about time that people in our country woke up to who was doing what to whom. And then we heard from Oren Lyons... He began by saying, before we sit down and make a, you know, just a, uh, an I'm sorry talk, that we have to address reparations. We have to talk about stolen land. We have to talk about those treaties that were written to be valid as long as the sun rises in the east, the rivers run downhill and the grasses grow green. He spoke about how the, quote, the American public has been deliberately kept ignorant of the real history of the United States. How do you reconcile that the greatest genocide at that time in history took place right here on this continent after Christopher Columbus arrived? For those that did not have the opportunity to listen to the first podcast, let me reintroduce Oren Lyons. Oren is a faith keeper of the Turtle Clan of the Onondaga Nation. He's an advocate for indigenous and environmental justice going back to the Red Power Movement of the 1960s. Oren helped establish the United Nations Working Group on Indigenous Rights. He's been the recipient of the Ellis Island Medal of Honor, the National Audubon Society Medal, the Earth Day International Award of the United Nations, and the Elder and Wiser Award from the Rosa Parks Institute for Human Rights. Oren was the editor of the acclaimed book, Exiled in the Land of the Free, Democracy, Indian Nations, and the U.S. Constitution. And without any further ado, let's hear the concluding remarks from Oren Lyons. When New York then was a village... This Long Island, what they call Long Island, was a village there. 
in an establishment a colony of the Dutch. It's called New Amsterdam. It was not New York, it was New Amsterdam because the Dutch were there first. When the English took over, and we had made an agreement with the Dutch called the Turo, which really was an agreement with his brethren, basically all the people who were coming from Europe, okay, because that was the terminology we used for white man. But that's who we saw. That's who was over here first with white man. And um, we had an agreement on Turo about peace, friendship, forever. You and your, you and your ship and your many different peoples and languages, and we in our canoe going down the river of life side by side, connected by three principles, peace, friendship, forever. So, now, that was the principles of, of the uh, Turo belt. And forever was, was termed as long as the sun shines, as long as the sun rises in the east, sets in the west, as long as the rivers run downhill, and as long as the grass grows green, shall we keep this covenant of peace and friendship. Mm. So, so the rivers are still running downhill. The sun is still rising from the east, setting in the west. And the grass is trying hard to grow green right now, but it is <laughs> still green. So that, so as far as we're concerned, that covenant goes on. And uh, in that discussion, when the Dutch had first come up to meet, uh, they met the Mohawks up on um, traveling on that river that we had named the river that runs in both directions and um, you, you, your people named it the Hudson River from the Henry Hudson who was the captain of a ship that went up there um, but the village which is now Albany, New York was a village a Mohawk village. The Mohawk Nation was the keepers of the eastern door of our confederation, the Haudenosaunee, which is very, very old, maybe, who knows, 1,600 years old, but very important in that confederation and the principles that were, were brought to us by the great peacemaker who assembled us finally. It's a huge history. It's a huge, each segment that takes days that, that you've never heard about. You you don't know those uh, stories and you don't know the origin. But anyway, finally had gathered up the five warring nations, which were Mohawk, Onaga, Onondaga, Cayuga, and Seneca, got them to sit in a general council of peace, and they formed a confederation called the Haudenosaunee, the people of the Longhouse. So our Longhouse was east to west. The earth was our floor, the sky was our roof. That's mm. our perception. And then there were our villages. And it was 
it was a union, probably the first United Nations in the world on that concept. And it was all based on the principles of, of uh, peace. That was our first principle of that, is that the foundation of this nation is peace. Uh, second principle is equity, fairness to everybody and everything, to be fair and equal. And the third was the union itself, to be of one mind, one heart, one body, one soul. That was the United Nations. And there was a wampum belt that wove that out. And it's called the Hiawatha Belt. And uh, that relates to the peacemaker's partner, Hayan Winta, who was Onondaga by birth. And after the Confederation, he was adopted by the Mohawks. And the title is, is still carried by the Mohawks, Hayan Winta. It's one of the Mohawk titles of leadership. Anyway, way back at that time, when way before the white men ever thought of this place, the peacemaker assembled us and organized this confederation based on those principles, union. And he said at that time, and this is so important for not only our people to be reminded of, but also for everybody. He said that the earth is female, and therefore the foundation of this confederacy will follow the women's side. So we are a matrilineal system. And that's a terminology, contemporary terminology that Everybody can understand who uses English language matrilineal. It is not, and I underline not, matriarchal. There's a huge difference between matriarchal and matrilineal, as, as any professor can tell you. Matrilineal means the lineage and we work together, as we always have, man and woman is a partnership, equal equal in every respect. And then he said that now that those men who had gathered and were the leaders that he had brought together, he said, now that we have this union, when you as an individual pass on, your name and your title will remain and it will become an office. And the women and your grandmother will be in charge of that. And she will own that. And she will choose the candidates for that title. Now I'm talking about equal justice between men and women in a process of governance. This is 1,600 years ago. When I look at contemporary times today, and I see the women still out there in America trying to trying to fight for equality today. 
and the so-called democratic confederacy. They're still battling. I remember one of the candidates for president on the democratic side said, there's a glass ceiling that we can't get past. I want to crack that glass ceiling. <laughs> so at this time, I want to make another observation that president of the United States at that time, which is oh, 2016 or so, 2015, uh, President Obama was at the United Nations and he made a statement. He made a statement at that time at the UN, and it was a very careful statement. It was first, because Obama is a lawyer. He doesn't say things offhand, especially if you're addressing a union like the United Nations. Careful what you say. And hear what he said very carefully. He said, the United States of America is the first constituted democratic government in the world. Mm. And when I heard that, I said, oh, oh, where are you going with that? Hold on there, wait a minute. What are you, what are you saying? What do you mean? That was his words. And I don't know uh, why, or how, maybe in his uh, terminology as a, as a lawyer, and dependent on a written word or whatever you talk about, uh, that he really believed that. But the first constituted democratic government in the world was the Haudenosaunee. 1,600 years ago, because our system was not based on voting. Our decisions were raised by and reached by consensus, which means everybody's got to agree. That's our system. And that the women are equal and that they are in charge of the titles. And that the clan mother who holds those titles and chooses the candidates that she would like to be leader of her family when one passes on because it's a lifetime work, her family has to agree to that, her choice first. If her family doesn't agree with her choice, you got to find someone that they finally, by consensus, agree that they want this person to be their leader, their speaker for them. If that is uh, agreed upon, then she goes and meets as request a meeting with the Council of Chiefs. And the Council of Chiefs will hold the only secret meeting that I know of, political meeting that I know of, in the Confederacy is held in secret because she will take a, a, her with her a witness because she's going to present her family's 
candidate for this title. It's her responsibility. And by the way, she also has the responsibility to oversee the conduct of that spokesperson for her uh, family. Mm. And if his conduct is not correct or he does a crime or he does something like that, she has the responsibility, the power, and the authority to remove him. Mm -hmm. And has. And I've been there and I've seen it. Take him out. Now, is that an authority of, of a woman? Well, it's a shared responsibility, basically what it is. It's not arbitrary. It can be challenged and it has to go through a process, but she can do it. And it has, I've seen it. It's gonna be pretty bad to remove a person, but basically, you know, usual crime against man or woman, they'll take you out. Malfeasance of office, they'll take you out. And not attending to your duties. Not being there when you're supposed to, to represent your your family in the discussions, political discussions. They'll take you out for that. So you're gonna be functioning. And your term is a lifetime term as long as, long as you behave and do your duty. And of course, you know, 1,600 years ago, there was no uh, compensation. You didn't receive any money for that. And since we haven't changed the process, we still don't receive any money for that. Today, it's the responsibility you accept and better well carry it out because it's a very enormous responsibility on behalf of the people. You're a servant, you service from there on. You cannot kill anything or not supposed to after that because it's not a chief, you don't become a chief. That's an English word, that comes from Europe, chief. I didn't want to hear. Everybody uses English words now, so, you know, they say, oh yeah, he's a chief. But it's Hoyane in the language. You become Hoyane. And you know what that translates to? Peacemaker. No. Mm. Foundational, fundamental. That's your job, your duty. Keep the peace not be a chief and sit on a horse with a lance. That's it. So Indians have become just uh, symbols. The white man has very deliberately made us caricatures of, of who we really are. Cleveland Indians, there we are on a baseball player's shirt. Got a great big-nosed Indian with a stupid smile on his face and feathers sticking out of his head. They say, no, that's, uh, you know, we're honoring the Indian. I said, oh, really? 
you're really honoring us over that idiotic looking fool on your shirt. Your concept, that's, come on. So they're finally dealing with that. And the Washington Redskins finally coming to the challenge. And can you imagine that terminology, Redskin? That's about as pejorative as you can get. And the Washington Redskins, which means Washington, D.C., where the president sits in the Congress and the Senate. And they're sitting in the stands today, cheering, well, yesterday, well, last, last year, you know, the virus has stepped in now, so there's nobody playing baseball out there. But last year, there they were, senators, congressmen, cheering on the Redskins. Have you not evolved any, any further than that? After all these years, after all these years, leaders, they said they're leaders of the free world, that's how they call themselves, cheering on the Washington Redskins. Wow. Did you ever look at yourself in the mirror? Or can you? And see who you really are and what you're carrying. So it didn't this racism. Sure, Black Lives Matter. Are you kidding me? You know, they brought all these people over. They brought them over around sixteen ten. So the question remains, what happened to those original people from fourteen ninety two to sixteen ten? Where that discussion? And that's the genocide. That's what nobody wants to look at. That's the last thing that this United States wants to have her speech, the real truth of children. And if you know the real truth, you're not taught it, then you go make it again. It is based on based on based on the white man. You know, we first met the white man because we were in the East Coast. And we described him in our, our language. When we, when we see the white man, we say, Hosanni. Nah, nah, Hosanni. And it's descriptive. It says he's weak. Wasani, not Wasani, she is white. That's a description. By the time a white man got to the plains and we were, he was fighting the Lakotas, they have a name for him. It's Washichu. Nah, look, Washichu. And I asked them, I said, what's, what's that mean? And it isn't a description. It doesn't mean he's white. By that time, they were describing more about who he was. And what it means, he eats all the fat. Mm. 
are talking about a greedy person. And that's how they describe him. Look, there's another greedy one. What's it you? Because he has established that very clearly to the people as he went from one to the next. So the history of this country has to be addressed. Slavery is part of it, but it's not the first one. The first one is a genocide of the indigenous people of the Western Hemisphere. Terrible, terrible history. Has to be addressed before you can move on. Can't bury it. But, you know, the U.S. is fairly young. Only a little over 200 years old. That's not very old for a country. So you're like a Latin teenager, you know, and you're up, up around the 20s, mm -hmm. I guess, or so, and still doing stupid stuff. Mm -hmm. Take a chance of it. Beating your chest. You know, because, of, you know, at that time, it's a male and female. <laughs> That's what that, you know, teenage, nothing but male and female. And you're trying to mm. keep decorum there and keep things in line. That's nature. That's a mm. natural occurrence in all. I don't care whether you're in Europe or Asia or any place else, all the same human, human behavior. Mm. So anyway, all of that, you know, plays into but the foundation is a very racist nature. Probably one of the, you know, I've been watching television, which almost all Indian nations have in their, their homes these days. I'm watching television, and one of the uh, very favorite um, documentaries is just a series about a different time. It's about the old, merry old England. There's a series that goes on about the, the doings of these people of that era, and they're very, very popular in this country. People like to look at it. But basically, you know, it's about England, and if it's about England, then it's certainly about hierarchy. It's certainly about the prominence of male dominance. It's certainly about property. It's certainly about uh, the subservience of women. It's, it's about servants working, making bread and washing the floors. And, and it's about monarchs, kings, queens. People love that here today in the U.S., probably all over, where there's white people. I don't know how many Latinos watch it, <laughs> or how many black people watch it, or how many Indians watch it, you know. But certainly white people do. Because it reminds them of the dominance that they've had. Well, in contemporary times right now, we're, we're in Brexit, mm. where the Union has separated from Europe, and 
their fate is really unknown. I'm not sure where they're going, but we certainly know the history. Because they're the original slavers. They were the ones that ran those slave ships. They went from England to Africa, Africa to America, and America back to London. And they were carrying stuff each each trip. It was all big merchants. And the trip from Africa to the U.S., the stuff they were carrying was human beings, slaves. Big trade. Mm. Shiploads, mm. shiploads. Better address that history today, because if you make the same mistake, what is doomed? Mm. So here we are today, and facing the issues of all of the consequences, what I would call uh, the commerce, the capitalization of democracy, they called it. Democrat capitalism, that's an oxymoron. The two don't work together. There's nothing democratic about capitalism. And Adam Smith said that in the beginning. He said, hey, this isn't, this isn't the best solution, but it'll get us from here to there, but we got to find something better in the meantime. Well, it's quite a while ago, now up to this point, you haven't found anything better so far anyway. As far as you're concerned. Mm. So here mm. we are. And when you were talking about the great development of the great United States, we're just beginning. And our people and our chiefs were there. It's very important for people to know how much influence the people in, in, in Turtle Island, we use that term because the Turtle Island was where that was coming from. America, you know, is based on the. That's pussy. Come on. And then the whole continent. Hey. Columbus, he called us Indians, and he had another mistake. He thought it was in India. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we were Indians. That's a big mistake, but it's ingrained. So here we are. We're still Indians. And, you know, when I'm in our political meetings at the United Nations, and I, in our our relatives from India, who are the real Indians, and and they, and they make that point. They say, we're the real Indians. <laughs> and I always say, of course, yes, you are. Mm-hmm. I'm very, very pleased with you. Of course, we're real Indians. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's so much... The discussion that Bruce talked about now in, in terms of uh, the conduct and the, the fact that, you know, when you have um, the Constitution of the United States and almost, uh, almost all of the, uh, like they call them the founding fathers, they're all slaveholders, big time. 
And it wasn't a, it wasn't a, uh, giving a vote to the common man. It was giving a vote to the landed gentry. They said, oh, no, no, we can't give that vote to the common man. you got to have property. No discussion about a vote for the women at all. So, you know, in 1775, when we made this agreement, and I said, look, there's a big fight coming with our father. We want you to join us, fight our father, because he's, he's really made life miserable for us here. And they went on to make all these charges. And our leaders at that time, Archie, said, well, of course, we know your father. We've been working him for the past 400 years. Uh, and we see this coming fight as a fight between father and son. And anybody knows, not a good idea to step inside a family fight. Mm -hmm. They'll both turn on you. And they said, well, that was our second request. If you, if you weren't going to fight with us, and our second request was, don't fight against us. And in that discussion, the Haudenosaunee leader said, yes, we've had the same discussion with your your father and over in Oswego just this past spring as well. And they said, well, what'd he say? <laughs> he said, mostly what you're saying. So we've decided, you know, you're going to have to settle this, this family fight and we'll step to the side. And they said, good, because that was our second request. And so we made a treaty in 1775 put in a Shoney and the new Continental Congress, and they were all there, mind you. That's how important that meeting was. Mm -hmm. They weren't in Philadelphia. They were there because this was life and death. And they were desperate for us to either join them or be neutral. And we agreed on that. So the Treaty of Neutrality, 1775. And just to bring it somewhat up to date, in 1983, you had a, uh, by that time, your presidency had, had gone on. And uh, you had a movie actor in, as president of the United States. Uh, mm -hmm. And he had uh, re-energized the draft. So, at Onondaga, our young men were getting draft notices, and they brought it to the council, and the council said, well, don't ignore them. You tell everybody, if they get a notice, bring it here. We'll, we'll fill it out, we'll send it back. And that's what we did, because I was on the council at the time. And finally, we got a... I got a call, it was a phone call, and they said, this is a United States Selective Service, they said, we're going to clarify what's going on here. And they said, we know what you're saying is not new, we know it's old, but we don't know, where does it come from, how does it start? Can, can you educate us, can you discuss it? We said, certainly, come up. 
So on Mother's Day, 1983, the federal government of the United States and also the Selective Service, all the leaders, came to Onondaga. And they made a complaint. <laughs> the first thing that, when we were prepared, we were in our, our best dress. We were in our finest outfits. And we had our wampum belts laid out from 1613 on. As we were asked to give the history lesson, so we were prepared. And we had speakers for each belt, for each time. And the first thing they said was, well, you know, why, why did you why did you set this meeting for Mother's Day? It was a day, Mother's Day, in uh, 1983, May. Well, we said, we didn't see any difference because of us, and it should, should be with you. Every day is Mother's Day. Mm-hmm. Every day. So that was uh, the opening, and we began that discussion as I'm doing here, 1613. This is about, this is where we met and we made this agreement finally and I went to English and so on and so forth. And here we have, you know, the covenant chain of peace, peace, friendship forever, silver covenant chain, all that. We went through. We went through periods, 1600, 1700. Queen Anne talked about our men. Talked about Queen Anne's um, treaty with us, 1701. We talked about our men going over and speaking to to the English about the trouble they brought over with them. The witchcraft we said that came in your ship. You brought witchcraft to our ships. Running ethics or the hard day of your man, something against women, I can't really. It was, it was there a big time. Afraid of women. I said, Are you kidding me? You're afraid of women? The best thing in the world for a man? What are you afraid of? <laughs> best thing could ever happen to us. Afraid of your mother? Anyway, anyway, that discussion went on. And by the time we got to the War of 1812 and the results of the Revolutionary War and, and our continued presence and our discussion, they said, okay, okay, okay. We, we understand. We asked you a question, you answered it, and uh, it was hot, I remember. <laughs> but... They said, we won't draft your men. And we said, of course not. We have a treaty. Mm -hmm. 1775, and that was recognized in the longhouse of the Anadogas and the U.S. federal government in 1983. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's a little history lesson for you guys. Thank you. Uh, <laughs>
It's, it's a little history lesson for you guys. Thank you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> thank, thank you, thank you, uh, thank you, Oren, and and thank you, thank you, Bruce, for yes, a, a tremendous history lesson for for me and for our listeners, and and uh, wow, um, um, I feel blessed. I feel very full hearing from both of you. I mean, we asked the, the question, you know, what? why should we, natives and non-natives, trust the truth and reconciliation process? We, we've we heard a lot said. Bruce said, you know, I mean, the very word truth is, uh, uh, can be contradictory, can be interpreted differently by different peoples. I mean, the... the and often the the real truth can be held in the oral history and uh, um, and and sometimes that lasts longer than the written history, which like Bruce Johansson's book went out of print, but he's still speaking to us today that's good um, and uh, um, we spoke about so many things I mean I feel so blessed i mean the the, the fight isn't over. You said, you know, between, you know, the um, Bruce was talking about how, how the truth and reconciliation process could be, in theory, handled in the Constitution and the Supreme Court, but there has been conflict around that because Supreme Court justices are appointed. But then he also pointed out it's interesting what happens when someone's appointed there. Sometimes they shift. And uh, including the recent Supreme Court decision that 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 gave a significant portion of eastern Oklahoma back to Indian country, you know, which is where Andrew Jackson rounded up those those tribes and the Cherokee, the Choctaw, the Muscogee, the the Creek, and etc., and moved them there so long ago. So. Uh, he, Bruce spoke about joy in his heart. You know that there's that we're that at least the the Black Lives Matter movement is is uh, bringing a multi-ethnic following, um, and uh, and uh, and I, I I don't mean to summarize because there's so much the words that are said by uh, both these uh, wonderful gentlemen. I'm not trying to say that these are the only words they're saying. I'm just just for the benefit of some listeners. Um, Oren Lyons spoke about meeting together again with Bruce, and I'm grateful for that because that spirit of, of, of partnership that's between Oren Lyons and Bruce Johansson is the kind of spirit we need in America, you know. And uh, but of course, Oren pointed out, as as I uh, am not surprised that he did that. Uh, uh, if you're going to talk about truth and reconciliation, you also need to talk about reparations. You need to talk about uh, um, making right what has been wronged, and uh, uh, and that there were covenants and treaties that were that were sacred covenants that were that were uh, drafted to be in effect as long as the sun rises in the east, the rivers run downhill, the grass grows green. I mean, that is, even though there is a little drought in New York now, I mean, that is still happening now. So, so um, and, and uh, 
uh, Oren spoke about so many things, but he, but he brought us to, to the attention of us that we can do a partnership. The way the Haudenosaunee did with women and men is a model that we could look at today. And instead, it's true that in Western society, women are still fighting for equality. I don't think it was a coincidence that the, that the words marriage, equality, ended up being passed by the Supreme Court, but as long as it was called gay marriage, it, it, it didn't get enough traction. But once it got called marriage equality, 70% of women were for that and 50% of men, which was enough to carry the day and shift the society. And, and Oren speaks about every day being Mother's Day, and certainly that's true because, you know, we're living on Mother Earth, and we're blessed by her waters and by her soil and by her air and by all the critters that we live with together. And that's, I mean, that is the prayer that we need to keep in mind that we're not, it's not just about human beings on this planet. Um, so I really am grateful for these guests. They're just amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Oren. Thank you so much, Bruce. Next week on Circle for Original Thinking, we'll have some friends of uh, Oren and Bruce, actually. Um, I hope they're friends with Congresswoman Deb Holland will be joining us and Sally Roche-Wagner. And we'll be talking, we'll be carrying that forward, that baton a little bit, and talking about the re-emergence of the feminine in America and the first and obviously uh, the reemergence of women in leadership from Native America coming in the U.S. system anyway, uh, Congresswoman Deb Holland being with Shari David, the first Davids, the first two Native American women in U.S. congressional history. Deb Holland's my congresswoman who's Lagoon, from Laguna, and Shari's David is from the Ho-Chunk Nation. If you want to learn more information about original thinking or to become a member, go to www.originalthinking.us or www.originalpolitics.us to learn about the book, Original Politics, Making America Sacred Again. Thank you so much, and until next week, thank you very much, and may you all be blessed. Thank you, Oren, and thank you, Bruce. What a wonderful show. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. This program is made possible in part by Select Books, Waterside Publications, Bizgenics, and the Ecology Prime Media Channel. Native flute music by Orlando Secatero from the Pathways CD. Liberty Song by artist Ron Crowder, written by Ron Crowder, Jim Casey, and Danny Casey. Post-production editing by Scout Media Strategies. The Circle for Original Thinking is a grassroots think tank whose mission is to seek out the deep origins of contemporary thought in order to remember and restore heart-centered wisdom for humanity and all our relations on Earth. For more information, go to originalthinking.us or originalpolitics.us, and you can also find and purchase my books, Original Thinking and Original Politics there. Thank you for listening, and until next week, many blessings to all. Liberty.